Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. Welcome to Overnight America, normally with Ryan Recker, but not tonight. I'm Randy Tobler in for another evening with you here from 8 to 12 and replay after that from uh, from 12 to 2. Thanks for being with me again. I had a lot of fun last night uh, cavorting with the, the news stories of the day. And boy, are there a raft of them today. Hope that uh, you'll stay with us the entire time and, and weigh in with some of your thoughts, too, because, boy, it's getting wild and woolly. In, uh, in case you're, uh, you didn't hear last night, I, uh, I do a morning show, uh, Politics, Culture, Medicine, on, uh, on KFTK 97.1, our sister station uh, in the Entercom group. And um, now uh, getting a chance to be at KMOX, where actually I cut my teeth in the broadcast business, which is an, a, a very heavy avocation of mine. I'm an OBGYN and um, born raised in St. Louis and uh, started, uh, went to UMSL for undergrad. Oh, to say since i'm from st louis where i went to high school right both my wife and i high school sweetheart where uh, went to Lindbergh high school and then uh, went to umsel for undergrad and then wash u medical school and practiced in town for a while before we went up to far reaches of northeast missouri to serve in a safety net hospital there and uh, currently also lead that hospital as its ceo so we're in the thick of the covid surge that has hit rural missouri as well as uh, of course continues to be a real problem throughout the st louis metro area and uh, we'll be uh, kicking it around today on the COVID vaccine um, to take or not to take. That's the question. Talking with an expert uh, just uh, after the first break, uh, Dr. Ken Remy, who's a Washington University researcher and a clinician who's cared for more than a thousand both adult and pediatric patients. So everything you ever wanted to know and then some about the vaccine, about the disease, about uh, the future. I want to talk to him about the variant that's coming up. Um, and uh, it, it'll be a it'll be a, a fascinating and, and I think pretty provocative uh, discussion. Uh, Ken is the guy that put out that uh, on his Facebook that very um, provocative video where he's uh, all masked up and PPE'd up, and then he says, "Hey, if you don't take your if you don't uh, you know wear your mask and do your social distancing, and you come down with this thing, this could be where you end up. And if this is the case, this is what it'll look like when I, I put a tube down your throat, which could be one of the last things you see on this earth. It was a, it was a wake-up call. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to Ken about some of the feedback he's gotten from that. But a fantastic guy. He happens to be a councilman out in Wildwood, too. 
and I think a probably the most common sense, balanced, uh, no paranoia, but an awful lot of wisdom about uh, the, the, the disease and the virus and how we should best manage it and keep our society and our economy thriving at the same time. Because I think it is a both and, and I think Ken would agree, but we'll let him talk to that. And uh, in, this, in the second hour of the program, we'll talk to Erica Commissar. She's a frequent flyer in the Wall Street Journal, uh, a parent coach and author of a, of a book on um, parenting for very young children. I She speaks with me frequently, frequently on my Saturday show. And um, now she's talking, she's written one uh, just recently in the Wall Street Journal, online class and false ADHD diagnoses and uh, how um, sitting at a computer for hours is not good. So you're beginning to see where my sensibilities lie as far as getting our children off of their duffs at home and into their classroom seats where the, they can be taught proper. Reading, writing, and arithmetic, right? And so we'll talk with Erica. She gives a lot of great advice and uh, can help us navigate uh, what still are some some challenging times with uh, occasional um, quarantining of children and you know how, how we're going to manage that. We're going to talk to uh, Michael, Michael, Dr. Michael Mahan, a good friend of ours uh, and host of Psych with Mike, about how to manage everything from SAD, that is seasonal affective disorder, to the Christmas um, anxiety, not only regular anxiety around this time of year but uh, you know just the strange social circumstances we find ourselves in and some of the polarized views that may happen whether it's a virtual christmas celebration and probably many of you uh, previewed that at thanksgiving or an in-person one uh, and then finally uh, we're going to um, recap an interview that we did with joe scarborough a couple of weeks ago and it was fascinating. He's written a book on the Truman Doctrine and how that really changed the course of our history and world history, for that matter. And it was a fascinating talk with Joe. So uh, lots going on this mor- this evening. And uh, all, like I said, from 8 to 12 here on KMOX, it's a real pleasure to sit in for Ryan. What a giant in broadcasting. Heard uh, coast to coast. And I know he's very popular on the Twitter sphere, but also needs a break now and then. So that's what we're going to help him do. I'll try to fill those formidable shoes, or at least part of them, can never fill them all, uh, with you today, uh, tonight. And I'll be back on Sunday, I believe. Yeah, we'll be back Sunday evening after Billiken's basketball. Uh, one more thing. Um, I, I broadcast from a uh, very well-provisioned, highly concealed, and um, you know, ready for whatever may come, if you know what I mean, uh, compound in uh, outstate Missouri that uh, we keep the the whereabouts very, very, very carefully guarded. Uh, we're well-provisioned, and we're ready for all things. We call it the liberty layer because um, we celebrate liberty daily at the compound, and um, that, that is a recurring theme that you'll see as you learn a little bit more about where I'm coming from as we analyze some of these things. We celebrate liberty, what it is that has made our country so unique and the greatest society the planet has ever seen. I don't care what they say, those naysayers on the left and some on the right that say we're deteriorating. We still have great opportunity, and um, now more than ever, it's time to grasp that. And uh, But remember that with liberty comes responsibility. And that'll, I think, uh, be a thread throughout our discussion about COVID as well. Hey, my call-in numbers are 314-436-7900. And if you want KMOX to pay the bill, 1-800-925-1120, if you still have a landline. I wonder how how many of you still have a landline? So many people just have a cell phone anymore. I guess, obviously, if you have a business, maybe a business in your home, you have a landline. Those uh, those may be going uh, the way of the dodo bird at some point, though. 
maybe. Uh, breaking news, you heard at the top of the hour, and as this develops, I wouldn't be surprised if it develops uh, as we're on the air tonight. President Trump has said um, he's not going to sign this thing because he wants Congress that uh, passed the bill last evening, the COVID relief slash stimulus bill, uh, along with a spending package just to keep the government going. But he, he said, hey, it's not enough. 600 bucks per person is not enough. And that's not for everyone, obviously. It's for, I believe it's 75000 and under. If you make under 75000 you can get that check. And that would really involve most Americans, we, we understand. But he's talking about 2000 to 4000 a couple. That is, I mean, that's, that's more than the first by, you know, another 20% or depending if you go up to 4000 that's 300% increase. I mean, this is crazy. Well, maybe it isn't. Maybe it's a good idea. After all, if we've talked about in the presidential run-up to the primaries in the Democratic side, Andrew Yang was talking about universal guaranteed income, right? Give everyone a little, a little morsel every month to make sure that everyone can, uh, can live healthfully. It's just another form of guaranteed um, welfare without having to ask for it. I mean, that's what universal basic income is. But uh, are we inching towards the fact where we now expect when there's hardship that the government is going to bail everyone out ad infinitum? And to what extent should that be? And a really serious scruples question, if you ever play that game, what if you made $75,010 last year? Would you be a little bit upset if you weren't going to get your six hundred or twelve hundred or two thousand or four thousand or wherever they may have to move the the beads on the abacus to please President Trump? This could be an interesting battle that unfolds, and if we uh, we'll follow this, Mr. Producer, make sure you follow this because if uh, I'm going to be doing it too in breaks, but if you uh, if we see some breaking news on that, we'll let you know. Obviously, this is really going to be a real gut buster for. Uh, for those people who were counting on that and for whom, uh, you know, they were at risk of eviction. There was a month extension on the eviction moratorium. There was uh, some money for the uh, extension of the payroll protection program and, and other things that, you know, will potentially be a bridge to more and more vaccine, less and less disease, less and less lockdown, more and more opening of the economy in those places where it is shut down. Sam Page announced yesterday that he and his staff are working on something. And if it's, it's such a secret, if they told us they'd have to kill us, I guess, because they're working on it and it's coming. But after the first of the year, we'll let you know. Well, I'm sure they'll let us know before that, but at the first of the year, it's going to take effect. So we don't know what, uh, what he'll lift in terms of the restriction on indoor down dining, but he implied that there would be some loosening of the, that uh, pro- prohibition. And it's good to see because uh, we, we talked with Chef Andrew Gruel, a celebrity chef out in Southern California, who has really been a vocal advocate for, for the restaurant industry, which is just suffering mightily. Upwards of, well, roughly 20% of, of America's 110,000 restaurants um, have, uh, have shut down and are thought to maybe have, uh, you know, shut down permanently and how sad that is. So we hope that the lifeline will be long enough um, to help stabilize these businesses, including restaurants and other small businesses, but not too long that over the long term, I guess it breaks our children's and their children's and their children's children's backs. Maybe it'll break your back and my back with taxes to go just stratospheric uh, with the new administration. 
it's going to be a crazy, crazy year, I think, legislatively next year. We'll be following it, of course, and uh, keep you informed. Hey, let's step aside and take a break. And uh, when we come back, everything you wanted to know about COVID, the virus, the disease, the vaccine, the variants, and whether or not there are microchips that the government has planted in those vaccine doses. I'll bet Ken Remy knows. I have my opinion. (laughs) You won't want to miss it. More on Overnight America with Ryan Recker. I'm Randy Tober, pinch hitting for Ryan this evening on KMOX. We'll be back after these words. Traffic and weather together every 10 minutes, mornings and afternoons on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Welcome back to the program, 20 after the hour. It's always a real special privilege to talk to Dr. Ken Remy. He's a Washington University School of Medicine adult and pediatric critical care physician scientist, a basic researcher, a guy who treats patients as well. So he knows this disease inside and out, both on the bench and at the bedside and sadly at the ICU. How you doing, Ken? Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Dr. Tobler, for having me on. Hey, I wanted to really get into some of the uh, FAQs that I think you've heard and uh, we've uh, all in the medical community tried to answer. But um, as the vaccines have been rolling out here and the headlines on the top of the fold sensational website, Tennessee gets the vaccine and passes out anaphylactic reaction in Anchorage, uh, on and on and on. Um, you know, I mean, we I, I really hope to get into uh, not only dispelling some myths, but but by way of educating folks about what I think is the genius of these vaccines. I mean, I just I can think of nothing else but the word genius in terms of um, this 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 platform that the Pfizer, BioNTech and, and the Moderna vaccines are made on. Talk about the other things out there as well. But let's start out with this disease itself. And, you know, just to sort of lay the groundwork of just how devastating this can be for selected people, albeit a minority of people. But when it hits, it hits hard and it can be devastating, right? Undeniably, undeniably, if you if you think about the current virus and and where we are currently. So we've got, you know, over 300 and, you know, almost 20,000 Americans that have died and lost their lives to this disease. Um, And I hear quite frequently, you know, it's not that bad, only 1% die. But if you think about 1% of 350 million people, that's not an insignificant number. But I think where people get lost in this is that that's 1% of many asymptomatic positive cultures and it doesn't reflect what happens if your disease becomes more severe. And so if you require hospitalization, your chance of survival is certainly not 99%. And as you, if you get worse and require a breathing tube at some point, your mortality, in fact, can go as high as up to 40 to 75%. So that is not an insignificant number. And I think that's where people, I think, get lost. And there's no great way for me to predict. I've seen... 75, 80, 85-year-old people actually leave the hospital. And I've seen 35 and 40-year-old people actually die in the hospital. And there's no great way to necessarily predict. And the largest population we see increasing in death is that 40 to 59-year-old age range. Yeah. And and I know we've talked about it before, and I keep hoping and hoping and hoping that there's going to be some magic matrix of tests that on diagnosis or maybe a little later when someone, you know, deteriorates to where they present in the ER 
we can uh, we can predict you know whether or not they're going to be that person that is going to be in grave grave trouble um and, and i'd like to move that bar back to where you know an initial diagnosis someone that's just having a cough and a little fever and you know the pasta doesn't taste like pasta. It tastes like cardboard, you know? <laughs> and it would be nice to know, and, and I know there are some predictive tests when patients do come in uh, to the ED that, that can be more or less prognostic, but but not not super accurate, correct? Correct. I'm unaware we... of, a, of, of a test, actually, that will tell you um, the disease course of a specific person rather than population-based tests that may be able to predict who is going to perhaps have a worsened outcome. But the, the point that I think you're also making, which is as soon as someone comes down with symptoms and has a positive test, even before they get to a hospitalization, this is their time frame by which a lot of the therapies that have FDA expanded access protocol um, released for, um, such as the monoclonal antibodies from Eli Lilly, as well as monoclonal antibodies from Regeneron, this is, and even remdesivir for that matter, this is when they best work. In fact, given early, these actually preclude hospitalizations. And when given earlier, they actually help re- reduce severity of illness. And that's why it's so important to seek medical attention and not just sort of sit around and think perhaps this is just a common cold. To be perfectly candid, the rhinoenterovirus season that we normally would see at this time of year, we're just not seeing terribly as much as we've seen in years past. So if you've got symptoms of a cold, more than likely, it is likely COVID disease. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, this is an opportunity, I think, Ken, for um, for our audience to really become active in nudging their doctors and their nurse practitioners and their physician assistants and whoever's taking care of them and has a prescription pad or the electronic prescription pad um, to really think about, and if they're in the right category, the patient's in the right category who gets that positive test for that little, what they thought was a cold, um, to really nudge the doctor to think about that. I'm amazed. I know I heard Alex Azar from HHS say the other day, uh, I brought it up on a call today with the Missouri Hospital Association uh, sponsored by MHA with uh, with Dr. Williams from DHSS, how underutilized the bamlanivimab, how'd you like that? I said that pretty well. Not bad, huh? Uh, and the Regeneron cocktail um how how underutilized they are i know at our institution we're fortunate to have a lot of folks that were on that bandwagon real early and as soon as we knew that they were you know uh, the emergency use authorization was coming down the pike we have protocols and as soon as someone is diagnosed with it because uh, we really are a catchment area for testing for four counties in northeast missouri we uh we screen for eligibility for those uh, for those monoclonal antibodies and we have we've only been had access sadly uh, and been allocated sadly, uh, you know, about twenty or twenty four vials. But every patient that's received them in our small n has done well as an outpatient and not come into the hospital. Now maybe that would have happened by chance, but I think not. So this is an opportunity for I think um, patients to actually teach their doctors. I I don't want to overstate things, but. What do you think about that as far as the, the utilization of these drugs under or, or where it should be? Oh, I think we're absolutely likely underutilizing it. And I think in part it's because exactly like you said, there's an underutilization or accessing of this um, as an expanded access protocol from, from the government specifically. And I think that a lot of primary care doctors um, probably just are not 
uh, set up in a way that they are in, either interacting with a lot of like, centers like yourself or other, or, or other academic centers that have at least have a direct pipeline to how to actually deliver this drug in, in, in the appropriate populations. I think the other thing, which, you know, we, we and this is, this is certainly not a negative statement against the, the development of urgent cares, but you and I both have seen over the last couple of years significant urgent cares pop up all across the state as well as around the United States to fill really an unmet need, which is that a lot of primary care physicians just don't have the ability to see lots of sick patients, and same with emergency rooms, so that people have been going to urgent care. And those are not necessarily set up in this circumstance that when you get that COVID-positive test, that the next step is, oh, and let's see if we can get you an expanded access release of this monoclonal antibody. They're certainly not set up in that fashion. And I think that actually may be in part why we're not accessing that, utilizing that and preventing hospitalization. Yeah, it's a it's a distribu it's an awareness problem partially and just a logistical distribution problem. But folks, if you are diagnosed with it, if you're if you're over sixty five and you're diagnosed with COVID, even if you're not feeling bad, uh, if you're under sixty five and have one of the you know I think now pretty well known comorbidities, but we'll go over those because uh, uh, Dr. Remy, you can hang with us for an extended time tonight, right? You got me for as long as you need me tonight to have a conversation. Beautiful. Well, okay. Uh, Pull up a stool and pour yourself a scotch because I'm keeping you till midnight. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Ken Remy, a genuinely great, great doctor and a genuinely great guy because every time I've asked you to be on, my friend, you have done that. And I know how very busy you are trying to unravel this at the basic level and trying to treat people at the at the bedside. So we'll, uh, we'll step aside, take a little break. If you have a question for Dr. Remy, 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 long distance. Those are the call-in numbers, and we'll continue our conversation about COVID, the vaccine, and some myth-busting, too. For those of you who may have been hearing some myths, you may not even have known it, but we'll straighten that out. I'm Randy Tobler, in for Ryan Recker on Overnight America. for Billiken's basketball tomorrow night as they take on Kansas City. Pre-game 645, tip-off at 7. Hear it here on your home for Billiken's basketball, KMOX. We're back, and it's COVID-palooza on Overnight America. Dr. Ken Remy joins us, an adult and pediatric critical care physician and scientist who, uh, who knows an awful lot about this process. You may have seen uh, Dr. Remy's uh, Facebook post that went viral and said, you do not want this to be the last image before you die. And that was uh, of him getting ready to intubate you. It was, it, was, it was remarkable, provocative. And I guess you got a little feedback on that, didn't you? I did indeed. It's, I think it's been now shown um, across um, over uh, 300 different television stations and Close to 45 or 50 million people is what I was told last. Um, probably 99% of folks have been quite positive and uh, have reached out and, and, and really asked a lot of good uh, questions. And it was really a good time for those that had some less than positive comments to, you know, perhaps have a dialogue and offer some education back and forth. I would say that the majority has been positive. There are certainly some of those who um, were less than positive and, and wished me uh uh, a quick uh, death from COVID. So if they believe oh. that COVID was really not a hoax. So, um, yes, it was an interesting time. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and you know, I, I think that um, I know that uh, in the rural areas, uh, there was, I think, um, 
a lot of a lot of uh, skepticism about the severity of this problem and yeah. whether or not it was really everything that the uh, the headlines were saying it was uh and for those of those who those who weren't affected and the vast majority who maybe got it or knew someone who got it and did just fine you can see how you know that kind of a of, of a mindset can can sort of gain hold but I think I, I sort of liken it to, you know, when your six degrees of separation from COVID goes to one degree and someone near and dear to you, an acquaintance, a coworker, a family member uh, is gravely ill, intubated in an ICU or, uh, God forbid, dies, that's a wake up call. And I know that uh, there was an individual, the AP did a story at our hospital about uh, there was a gentleman who actually had said on camera and it was broadcast across the land that, um, you know, he, he was a little skeptical. He wasn't quite sure about it, but boy, he was a believer. And spending a little time in an ICU will make you a believer, no matter what the malady, but especially with COVID. It, uh, it's really something. Those chest X-rays and the, the, the CT scans are remarkable. I mean, I, it's been described as uh, to me by, by clinicians as lungs filled with, um, you know, with, with uh, silly putty or with the grout or with, um, you know, drywall paste. It's, it's really devastating, not only for lungs, but really can be a multi-organ disease, can't it, in the worst case? Oh, undeniably, it can cause kidney failure. It can give you potentially strokes. It can infiltrate your heart and cause arrhythmias. And, and subsequently, you can have um, uh, development of heart failure. But certainly, although it, it, it primarily affects um, the lungs, um, uh, there are other side effects of the disease that you can see acutely. And we also have an emerging phenomenon of this sort of post-inflammatory syndrome that's not just in children, that we're also seeing in adults, and it's, it's taking many, many months for individuals to, to actually recover. When we originally talked, the first time we chatted, I think, was back in maybe uh, June, July uh, timeframe. And at that time, you know, you've been consulted a lot uh, on, on the school issue. And at that time, it was very controversial. Uh, there were those on one side that said, hey, uh, kids are neither spreaders nor sufferers from this disease. You tended to be an advocate, I think, for, you know, keeping the schools open. Um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'd like you to, to sort of react to, you know, what you just said there, that, it, that there are children who are adversely affected. But, but being a public official, and a councilman, and trying to balance the reality of, you know, a, a thriving economy, or at least a formerly thriving economy, the, the devastation of sometimes the cure being worse than the disease. We've heard President Trump um, mention that. We've done some what could be called fear-mongering here in the opening part of our interview, but I know you balance that very wisely. So can you, can you, can you try to, you know, put the other hat on? as someone who cares about uh, the public and about uh, life as usual, or at least as close to usual. Uh, what, what's your advice? Uh, so it's a great question, and, and your recall is, is spot on. So, so back in uh, June and, and into the summertime, um, I was certainly and still remain an advocate for children being in school. And so I was fortunate to be able to um, provide advice and counsel to a number of different school districts, both locally and outside of this area. Um, I can tell you um, that uh, my children's school, for instance, um, we went to school right away in August and did not see a single positive case that was acquired at all within the school. And um, I think it's a testament. And if you think about that MMWR that came out in May and June um, that looked at the two hair stylists in, in Missouri mm -hmm. who yeah. um, were COVID positive and wore a mask and their, their patrons wore masks and there was 145 or so, 140, excuse me, um, uh, patrons, not a single person actually um, uh, acquired um, COVID. 
And so when it comes to schools specifically, we, we, we knew even though children can spread the disease, um, it's less likely that younger children probably spread it in the same way that uh, older children and adults do. But the biggest um, threat to children wasn't children. It was actually teachers and the adults in the school. And so if you take it from the perspective of that mask wearing and distancing and um, continuous high hand hygiene actually reduce transmission, um, then, you know, it's perfectly safe to have some normalcy to the school day as well as in um, uh, the, the workplace. Um, the difficulty, I think, comes into play is when you get to a little bit older age range than the high school range because um, you've got a lot more kids in a more dense to fashion concentrated and perhaps not following the same rules that you can at least enforce at the younger ages. But, you know, far and away, we've been lucky in that children, and I mean children under the age of 18, and I'm unaware of a, another case, and I, I'd have to double-check this, but we've been fortunate in the state of Missouri that I only believe that only one child, I believe age 12 or 14, died from this disease. And as far as cases of what we call MISC, which um, uh, uh, we've seen now uh, worldwide well over about a 1,000 cases, um, very few of those children, fortunately, have died from this post-inflammatory syndrome. Most of them, and I mean greater than 98 to 99 percent, and there's some new data that came out about this, um, they actually get complete resolution of symptoms. So yeah. that is a positive um, in that respect. Now, certainly, we don't want our children to endure any sort of illness and get um, asymptomatic infection if we can prevent it, which is why I keep potentially keep telling everyone to please practice these tenets of public health, because this is how you can reduce disease transmission. But also, not, you may, in fact, become ill with COVID, but your inoculum could be perhaps much lower. And so you may not have a significant um, uh, acquiring of the disease. And so your inoculum will be lower and you won't get a severity of illness, but at least you'll then develop some antibodies. And so I would argue that um, people that say that uh, masks are not 100% effective, they are absolutely correct. They are not 100% effective. I can promise you if you don't wear it, you actually have zero protection. But if you do wear it, you probably get a significant 70, 80, even higher percentage of redu reduced transmission. Mm. And if you do get particles of this virus that suddenly go into your ACE2 uh, receptors and then get internalized, you may, in fact, have a very small inoculum and small viral load that although you'll get a small asymptomatic or rhinorrhea or runny nose, you probably don't become as significantly ill. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, just like folks, will say, well, my gosh, I knew a guy who was wearing a seatbelt and he died in a car accident, or I knew a guy who was wearing a helmet uh, and and, and uh, he's uh, brain dead with his motorcycle accident. Well, you know, that's like, like you say, it, it's a risk reduction strategy. And if you can, um, if you can uh, both protect yourself a little bit from getting a big blast of virus and your immune system has a fighting chance, uh, and similarly, in a nice Christmassy spirit kind of a way, protect others from getting whatever you might be spewing should you be in the early phases. Um, to me, it's just it just makes common sense because it's not and you know it's not that big of a burden for people to do. And I think that uh, no one's claiming it is a panacea or a cure or a vaccine, but it's just a matter of risk reduction. And that's why we wear seatbelts and why we put helmets on, even though there's no guarantee that we won't have carnage from an accident. We have to step aside and take a break. When we come back, uh, Amy has a question. Uh, we can answer that real quickly right now. Um, Amy, go ahead. What, uh, Nathan, why don't you go ahead and put Amy on the line, then we'll go to break after this. Amy, you're on with Dr. Ken Remy. Hi, Dr. Ken. 
October, this is Amy Hassel. I don't know if you remember hey. me. I do yeah. remember you, Amy. Great to talk yeah. with you. Thanks for calling. Yeah, Grace, Grace just turned 17 years old. So, Holy so cow. For, I don't know who yeah. would have delivered that because I'm only 25, so I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, also, I have a question. Um, I had knee surgery um, uh, due for m- meniscus, and I had to be in a nursing home for a while to be off of it, and I caught COVID. Can I get COVID again? Ah, good question. Thanks, Amy. And uh, great to talk with you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. you Ken, can you get COVID again? So it's a great question. So, you know, we know that at least your antibody protection, uh, we thought about a couple months ago, would be about three to four months. We think now that actually could be quite longer. It could be greater than six months. But the truth is we just don't know how long your protection actually lasts which is why everyone who's had COVID is still recommended when the vaccine becomes available for your age group or demographic that you should still receive the vaccine in that circumstance to boost whatever immunity you currently have. So although it's possible that you will have protection from another exposure and likely will not develop the disease symptoms, you could develop it in a lesser severity of illness or less course, but um, you certainly will get some protection. But I would not use that as my gauge to stop wearing masks, washing my hands, and doing everything else we've discussed already tonight. Ah, good advice. There he is, Dr. Ken Remy. We'll come back and close it off with a really good discussion on uh, the COVID vaccine. And, uh, and in the meantime, I'm going to, I had my vaccine at about uh, four o'clock this evening. So during the break, I'm going to get an aspirin because this tail I'm growing, it's painful to sit on it. We'll, we'll be right back. Randy Tobler in for Ryan Recker on Overnight America. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. Welcome back. We're talking with Dr. Ken Remy, expert physician, scientist, both on the bench, in the lab, and uh, at the bedside. We only have five minutes here, Ken, so we're going to, only you can package things in such a digestible way. That's why I love talking to you about this. Uh, Let's talk vaccine real quickly. Um, These, uh, the Pfizer... Vaccines. Can you just give a quick, um, you know, thumbnail sketch of how they work and why that's so elegant and why it's why I would call so clean compared to traditional vaccine platforms? Sure, sure. And, and I should tell you that mRNA vaccines have been under study for over 12, 20 years. But, you know, SARS-CoV-2 is, is a virus and you've all seen the picture. It's studied with these sort of spike proteins, if you will. And basically the Moderna and Pfizer um, vaccine um, are, are these sort of um, almost in a bubble um, vaccines that are using something called messenger RNA, with this, which is the genetic material in our cells that are read to make uh, pre-proteins. And what happens is basically this um, uh, mar- mo- molecule in the vaccine basically enters, bumps into cells and tries to fuse with them and releases this protein or this mRNA to make this protein. And then what happens is eventually it gets destroyed by the cell this goes away, it never enters the nucleus, so it can't change your DNA or any other aspect. That's a complete myth. But what actually happens is that once the vaccinated cell dies, the debris that includes some of that spike protein then can be taken up by a whole other different type of cell called an antigen-presenting cell, and then that will then move away, and then the, something called a T-cell will detect these fragments and then will help marshal other cells to try to fight what they believe is an infection, even though there's not really an infection. You're basically duping the immune system to believe that there's an active infection, 
And then the end process of all this is the development of antibodies by your body to this specific spike protein that's been made artificially inside um, or recognition of that. And so these mRNA vaccines, vaccines are great because they're not, you don't get the virus from it. You basically fool your immune system to think that you've had the virus with, by development of these spike proteins, if you will. And then you've got a mastered response now with these antibodies that can immediately attack when presented. So really cool idea. When it comes to, to who's been studied, we've studied lots of folks that are elderly. We've um, studied lots of individuals all the way from, depending on Pfizer or, or Moderna, age 16 or 18 up, some 12-year-olds to 16 in the Pfizer study. We've not studied pregnant women. We've not studied lactating women really in, in any sort of numbers whatsoever, nor immunocompromised people. But this is a not alive virus. Most people get a sore shoulder. Some people get some redness around their shoulder. Um, anaphylaxis is exceedingly rare. And what I say by that is the two people in the Pfizer study that actually had anaphylaxis who carry an EpiPen could have had an exposure to anything that could have set off that allergic reaction. And it wasn't just this vaccine. Four people out of 44,000 people developed a, a transient Bell's palsy that also went away. Unclear if that was also related to the vaccine or not. So they're incredibly safe, at least with the data that's been presented thus far. And the efficacy after that second dose for both of them is well greater than 90 percent. Yeah, I mean, I'm, when you're talking 95, 90 to 95 percent in preventing the disease and 100 percent or nearly 100 percent compared to placebo in preventing severe disease, that's unheard of in vaccine world, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it's just amazing. That's amazing. And the reason that they got to market so quickly, I, I, I hope you can validate what I've read and the best I can put together. The, the, the quality and safety studies were no different than done on a vaccine that'll take several years to develop on a traditional platform. It was just that they were able to design and build this vaccine so quickly. But the actual you know, studies to do things were, were done in a traditional way, in a robust way. And, and that wasn't shortchanged just to get it out to market, correct? Correct. Everything that you would normally follow was followed. And this, what, these mRNA vaccines, like I said, have been in production for over 20 years. It's just that now they've been packaged with this virus. Yeah. So it's exciting. Okay. In the couple minutes we have, uh, George is on the line, wants to ask about the mutation. Uh, and um, I'm going to go ahead and ask the question for George. What, what can you say about what we're hearing all in the headlines about um, you know, the UK, and we're seeing variants and more mutations than we've seen in the, the little drift genetically that we've seen before. And what does it portend for infectivity, for severity of disease with this new variant, and especially effectiveness of the vaccine? Great question. So we know in South, uh, South in Eastern England, there was a report last week of about a thousand patients that had this mutated virus specifically in the, in the spike protein and receptor of the, the disease. But let me just fill the public in. We've seen actually well over 14 mutations thus far in this virus. In fact, the big one that happened back in May and uh, June that changed the D614G um, also had an increase in transmissibility. But as we know right now, we know that this certainly has about a 70% increase in, in transmission. So it, it makes the virus a bit more trans, um, have a higher transmission, which is why it's so important to use those preventative measures. But secondarily, as we know, as we speak right now, we have no data whatsoever that this prevents a more severe illness. And frankly, there's no uh, indication that this at all is going to have any effect on the current uh, vaccines that were developed because of the way that these vaccines are working with spike protein mRNA. 
it's unlikely that these mutations will probably reduce efficacy. Fortunately, as you mentioned, we're seeing such high efficacy to begin with that if it went down to 90 or 85 percent per se, that still would be a pretty darn good vaccine to have. But as of right, there's no data to demonstrate that. Beautiful. Hey, we're up against a hard break, Ken, and I know you and I talked about getting something out on social media. We hope to do that. And uh, this podcast will be available as well on the radio.com website and uh, rebroadcast later. Thanks for everything you've done, not only for treating patients with it for your basic research, but for all the wealth of information. Have you gotten the vaccine? I am getting it tomorrow at 1.50, and you should look for my picture on social media. (laughs) Got to run. Thanks, Dr. Ken Remy. Thank you, sir. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.